Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWatch. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back to Coach Cuts Corner. Today I'm joined in studio with Elijah Boyer, who's our hitting coach for the Stars, and Travis Doyle, our pitching coach for LCC. Coach Boyer, how are things on your end, and what are you working on most recently? I need to know. Okay, um, things are going good on my end. I'm, okay. I, you know, loving loving the fall where we're really getting to start to develop some guys now as we're getting away from games, more game side right. of things. Uh, most most recent thing I'm working on is with these blast motion sensors. Okay, we got about we got about a handful of them that we can use and we don't have it to where we have the subscription. Mm-hmm. So what I did was went and made um, some Google sheets to where I can just type in the weighted average of each guy that swings and then put in those averages to where they, right. they all average out rather than having to uh, buy a bunch of subscriptions. So, right. so that's um, the nuclear engineering you're coming out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's a little bit of that. You know, we it's not so much you know, we're still a junior college and we're looking to save money where we can. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's I actually just finished that this morning and I made nice. it all nice. So nice. It looks really love, good. Love to see it. Can't wait to clean it up. <laughs> he does that. He, yeah. I'll make something and he'll clean it up. <laughs> like that. I'm like, well, that's all right. It looks, free. it looks better now. Yeah. So. Travis first season here in Lansing. Yes. Thanks for having me. How's the uh, transition been to the uncommon grounds? Uh, extremely good. Uh, the amount of effort that goes into this team is, is, uh, thorough and it's nice to be a part of that. Yeah. And you were a part, I mean, all three of us sitting here played junior college baseball. You were a part of a national championship team. Yeah. What sticks out about that team? I know it was just a couple minutes ago when you were on that team, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, uh, good twenty years ago. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, we won two in a row, which was insane. Uh, the first year was was a long process of a bunch of freshmen, and the second year was more sophomore based. Uh, so it was a little bit easier the second time around. We were that much bigger. I already did it once. Um, but one of the biggest things is I think we always knew we were the best team on the field uh, based on the fact that we worked harder than anybody else that we played. Uh, we took a lot of pride in what we did off the field. So, And it was hours and hours and hours every single day. So the camaraderie we got at, with a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds was, sure. was extremely thorough. Sure. Uh, what kind of success did you have there? I mean, we talked about the team success a little bit, but what was your success like? Uh, yeah, I got drafted my freshman year, um, so that was that was huge for me. That was always my goal. I actually had some D1 offers, and I went to junior college for that reason pretty much alone. Um, I wanted to get drafted as early as possible. Um, you know, us winning league for the 18th year in a row my freshman year, and then our regional was kind of a breeze, and then getting to the national championship, we lost – one game, the first game, and then we had to win seven in a row to win the whole thing. So that was huge. Um, got drafted right after that. Uh, my next year, I was an All-American. I pretty much won every award a pitcher could win that year, um, except for the Regional Pitcher of the Year, which uh, one of my teammates stole that from me. He had 17 Ks in one of, a, one of our games. <laughs> and I actually had 15 in the championship of that year. And he uh, yeah, he took the, the Regional Pitcher of the Year from me from that point. But 
he's uh, one of my best friends in the world. So I, I couldn't give it to anybody better, to be honest That's with you. Good. So yeah, so yeah, it was a great year. You know, not only did all three of us play junior college baseball, but all three of us have been a part of facilities where development is at the forefront and you're working with kids on an individual basis or more on an individual basis than you are on a team basis as in where you guys are now as coaches or where we all are. How much of a challenge is that for you? You know, Travis, you, you're, you've got your own facility and you've been doing that for a while. What, what kind of challenges do you see when you've got kids in the facility versus now as a coach and you're trying to manage all that? Yeah, I would say when you, especially one-on-one -on -one facility stuff, you know, we do pitching training too, like pretty much group-based stuff also. But one-on-one -on -one stuff, it's it's not that you're shooting from the hip, but you can let the player lead you a little bit more, I feel like. It's more of, um, you know, the beginning of the lesson really shows you what you're doing through through the rest of it. Filling their holes is something you try to identify as quick as possible. Uh, guys that you're doing more team-based, I mean, the spreadsheet is, is huge. Being prepared before you ever get there is big. Everybody's plan has to already kind of be laid out um it's more of an everyday thing too so you usually have a, a better grasp of what their issues are for for the most part and it's a steady you know six to seven day a week basis to continuously work on those every single day um so breaking up the monotony of that sometimes too is is a challenge making sure they don't get bored doing the same stuff all the time because they might be trying to fix the same problems for months at a time so you know definitely being over prepared is something that i that i like to do and really think about plotting out their days, you know, the, the 24 hours to 48 hours before they actually do it. Right. Yeah, that's that's good. Elijah? Man, I, I personally love the team side of it more. Okay, um, why? It, I, I, love, I love teams. I love competing, and I just I feel like you really miss that on the facility side of things. But um, it's still there because you're training the guys to go win, you know, Right. Go win stuff, go make more money, whatever the case is. So there is like competitive nature still at facilities. So don't get me wrong when I say that I like being on the field more. It's just being a part of a team and seeing the guys compete against each other every day. It just it brings a different level to it. But the the challenges from being on the facility side to the team side is getting that one on one time. So kind of hitting myself from both angles there, but you have a little less one-on-one -on -one time to where you can really like dial in on stuff. But yeah. I think that's one of the advantages we have here is after these uh, next two weeks, basically we're going to get inside a lot because of the weather mostly, mm -hmm. but also because we're going to prioritize development. So then at that point, that's where we can all as a coaching staff really sit down and start to fill those holes that you're talking about and really attack the things that matter. So uh, this program for me so far has been a, a perfect blend of a facility and the team because I feel like we're really going to attack development here pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, we, contrary to what you're saying, we have been attacking development. We're just going to fine tune it just a little bit more. You yeah. know, for us, development's not just getting somebody to throw harder or getting somebody to hit the ball farther. It's there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, the development is is team based as well. And and the individuals make up the team. But when you see a dugout that's totally engaged for somebody to have success or Mudita, as we talk about, that's that's winning, too. And that's development, yeah. you know, because that doesn't start on day one. That's through a process. Um, what. What have you learned about the culture here, Travis, or, or what we like to say is the environment? What's been your biggest takeaway from it? 
Um, I think it's I, I, I like the angle of like how intense it is for sure. Um, but then also there's a level of class to it also where we stay in our own dugout. I think that's a, a big thing that I've always tried to teach too is nice. you know worry about your own guys in your own dugout. I think um, you speak with your ability to the other team. You don't speak with your mouth. And I think we hold those those lines pretty well. Um, but I, honestly, I wish I could be on the mound with a team like this with how much you see them cheer their, their pitcher on, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that makes me feel good because I'm rooting for that guy more than anybody in the world. And then you see the whole team blow up and, um, I can't give them that energy like the team can give them, no. you yeah. know, so exactly. it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, I, me and me and you had a good conversation, coach Boyer about that after we left uh, Grand Rapids the other day and you're just like. You know, we got to create our own atmosphere. We're a junior college. We don't have a hundred, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, there's not hundreds of fans 100%. going up there. But you know, we probably have more than most. But at the same mm -hmm. time, we, we definitely right. create an amazing atmosphere. Yeah. Culture takeaways for you so far? Yeah. Um, the culture is almost, it, it is more important for me than almost anything else. Uh, like the, we talk, I talk about numbers, talk about all the data. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a team that's all in for one another and you can't get everybody pulling on the same rope, that stuff comes comes in a lot less valuable. So the the culture here has been something that has been very eye-opening, learning a lot about the mental processes that we take guys through, and I think it's making me better and better. I've, I feel like I'm just getting better every day because I've never thought about baseball like this with mm -hmm. these type of processes. And, you know, for some guys it's going to – not be as valuable but for others it helps a lot and i think it'll help more than it doesn't so it's been a it's been a lot of learning and the culture is culture is a high thing here yeah the environment's a living breathing thing and it's based off the people we have in our environment and the overall goal is to get the majority of the people thinking and acting the same way and that's you know where we're trending and that's what fall is and your environment doesn't look you know, August 10th, when you start, doesn't, hopefully doesn't look the same in, you know, October or November or January or February, you know, I really learned about culture and it was before it was a big word or environment when I was in high school and I had a high school coach by the name of Steve Roster and he, um, he came in, he was a newly um, hired head coach and he came in and he built an environment where there was a lot of love and there was at times there was less teaching and more love. And we had, um, my senior year, we had a ton of success on a team that, you know, probably wasn't the most talented in the world, but we went quite a long ways in the state tournament and, and looking back on it, you know, after the pain went away, which took about five years, we got walked off in the quarterfinals and I was on the mound and, we were up uh, 11 to 7 in the sixth inning, and we lost in the seventh, 12-11. So it was, it was pretty tough, and yes, I still remember that. And But, you know, the, the long story of it was really looking back, it was like, wow, because that was different. You know, the, if you think about, like, the Bobby Knight eras and, and those eras, that was, that was definitely uncommon. You know, it was more get on you, ride you, put you down, break you you know, see how far you can bend. And then once you're dust, we'll build you back up and, you know, have you be a real man, you know? And, and so that was a little bit of the mentality that, you know, Travis, probably you and I did experience. And I, I know you did as well. And, and so it was different. And, and so he was really ahead of the curve at that point. 
and then looking back on it, I was like, holy smokes. And so I was able to take some of that stuff and, and use it and still use it today where we do have an environment where it's, it, it, we have relationships, we care about the people that are in our environment. And then what happens is it transitions and all of a sudden you see a team through these processes start caring about each other when in theory they're supposed to be competing against each other for playing time. And that's usually what drives teams apart. You know, nor normal teams get driven apart by just the fact of playing time. And so when we can kind of mitigate that and get them pulling on the rope for each other and having joy for other successes, that's that's the stuff that, you know, that's winning. That's really, really good stuff. And, you know, Elijah, you, talk, you hit on mental performance a little bit. Travis, have you been... Have you had experiences with the mental performance in prior to being here? Not at the level that we're at. I think okay. it's a very smaller fraction of, for sure. Um, where I think it was more or less, it was based on confidence was coming more or less from your work ethic, a little bit of your philosophies, trying to cover, like uncover, flip over every stone. Okay. Where I think here it's more of an active pursuit to actually hit the heart of what we're actually trying to teach the kids, you know, which... It's a little bit more honest. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to find as much individually where it's it's a little bit more laid out for you, which when you're dealing with junior college kids or freshmen in college, like you kind of need that kind of clarity. So, yeah, yeah, you you certainly do. We we do have freshmen and sophomores, and you certainly sometimes wonder, man, what would they be like as a junior or senior? Oh, now, yeah. now that would be incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, from the the mental performance in you know, you, you see it in leadership too. And some of the stuff, what, what's been your takeaways from leadership coach Boyer? Leadership is basically, I feel like where the team regroups every week okay. and just almost like we were talking about on the Sunday zoom call, it, it feels like a start, stop, continue type day. And for those who don't know what we're talking about there, it's just the things you want to start doing, the things you want to continue doing, and then the things you want to stop doing. And it just feels like on those days we regroup as a team and um, go over our values. And so it helps just keep everyone in the same path, keep on a straight line forward, uh, even myself. And I think for the coaches, it does that too. So those Tuesday leadership nights have been pretty nice. Tough question for you, Travis, here, because we live in this world where there's there's got to be a five-step process to something or there's a three-step process or for $99, you pay this amount of money and you get this. You know, we live in this world. So what's the $99 hack to getting a high school pitcher to throw more strikes? Oof. I mean, Take first time now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a I mean, question. I, I think you should, you, you should easily just tell them to throw more strikes. Yeah, and then, and then, yeah, yep, yep, yeah, I mean, that's from a hundred feet away, yeah. just throw more strikes. Uh, I, first one is they got to put the time in. I mean, like one of the biggest things I see in the difference of, isn't that hard though for a high school kid, just because a lot of them do play, you know, maybe at one more sport. And, and so those intersect over each other. That time is hard because time management, they don't completely understand it. That yeah. at that point, they've got a lot of people helping them manage their time mm -hmm. and doing things for them. I mean, I agree. Time is like, Putting the time in is the first one, but how's a high school kid do that? Don't you think that's challenging in its own? Oh yeah, they got they're going in a million different directions for sure. And I do love uh, baseball players playing other sports. I mean, basketball for sure is one of my favorites of the bunch. I mean, like how well in shape your bottom half gets for pitchers is insane. 
Um, later in my high school career, that was a big one for me. But I would say understanding what they're trying to do biomechanically is big. Um, it's a very hard process to throw throw a, a pitch correctly. Um, knowing what the you know biomechanical sequences are to come up your body correctly, how to use the ground right. Um, one of the biggest things I have to teach in the uh, amateur world is ground connection into hip action. I mean, their ability to find the ground and use their hips right is a little bit uh, alien to most kids. And uh, that's probably better to do with shoes off at times, right? Yeah, we do that. I do that at the facility, and I think there's one day a week at least you probably see the pitchers with their shoes off. Um, learning how to get grounded, there's there's literally two different versions of kinetic energy, and we as pitchers and hitters, uh, we use closed kinetic chains, so that's the ability to use the ground. Uh, so if, if you're not using the ground correctly, then really you're missing the whole side of the science that we're trying to hit. And you do see actually a blend of the two where guys that don't use the ground very well, it almost looks like they're in between an open and closed kinetic chain where um, an open kinetic chain would be the way you move inside of water or when you're in the air, right? You don't have ground connection to do those things. Um, so you start to see this like in between of those things. So when you get a guy truly connected to the ground and, and using his hips correctly, it, it really starts to promote the, the biomechanical movements that we're trying to hit and the right patterns of using kinetic energy from the ground up is kind of like a big, big part of that. Yeah, I, I think that's a big piece of the $99 hack for anything is you got to move better. Mm -hmm. You, you want to have more consistency with throwing strikes or hitting baseballs or, you know, fielding or whatever it might be. You got to move better. And how do you move better? Well, you got to have somebody that can help you move better because if you're not moving really well, you probably don't actually know it. Mm -hmm. yeah. it it's hard to move on to the next things. You can't really talk about ball flight or pitch design or their yeah. arsenal. You know, like all that. And not to say like biomechanics aren't fun, but that for yeah. me is the real fun that you start and play uh, play more chess with the hitter instead of checkers of hoping that I can throw a strike. Now we're we're talking about creating angles and uh, different sequences of pitches and how those play off of each other and and the the levels of those things are almost endless when you start to multiply them together and that that's really the fun that I that I love diving into. So yeah. yeah. What's, what's a, you know, I know coach Boyer knows, but some of our listeners don't know what's a college LCC pitchers practice look like. Uh, depending on the day. I mean, right now we are in fall, so we're still competing. So we haven't even sniffed like velo training or anything like that. We're, we really dove into biomechanics first. That was one of the biggest things we did in the first couple months. And that never really goes away. It just, it kind of becomes smaller and smaller because it's compiled on top of itself. Lately, we've been really diving into movement patterns of pitches and um, different planes that we're trying to get the ball on and different tunnels that we can use with different pitches. Uh, so a lot of it is turning into, a lot of the conversation is turning into, again, not only biomechanically, but ball flight and movement patterns and how we sequence those things together. And really, like, their day-to-day, -day, you know, like, they show up, they're always doing their pre-throw, which is different levels of stretches, uh, band work, plyos, things that work resistance, um, a little bit of you know strength training in there, a lot of flexibility. Main thing is they're getting themselves hot, right? They need you know 20 minutes of hot before they ever pick a ball up. We have our own plyo circuit that we do going through biomechanics that we call red ball. We usually do that three or four days a week. They have their own custom progressions, so how right. they get loose is all individualized. Uh, we did a generic progression for everybody in the beginning, and that's all been customized in the last few weeks to each player. Um, and that's to fill their holes. So every day they're they're doing movement patterns to fill their holes. It could be a pen day. It could be a you know a hybrid C day when they're doing you know light plyos. So it kind of depends on where they are in their throwing routine. 
Uh, so we try to customize those things. And a lot of guys, you know, have them are thrown during the week, have them are thrown during the weekend. So you're seeing a lot of theirs being similar, but just slightly customized to their their personal needs. We do explosives and core main mainly most days. We do a blend of those two plus stability drills. Um, we kind of blend those together depending on where the the, the pitcher is. Uh, but something one of those, if not all three of them, are done every day. And then we do a post throw, so it's a it's a cool down version of our pre throw and a lot of blood flow stuff, mobility again, a little bit of strength training. So we make sure we have a, a steady pre and post every single day, and then we kind of blend the middle to be more custom to that week and where they are in their week. So. It's kind of a flowing thing, and you know we try to get a lot out of them certain days, and other days it's like we need to do a little bit of a deload, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited to even get, you know, I, I love that we have a couple more games left, but I'm excited to get into velo training too because yeah. we got a lot of a lot of talented pitchers that you know yeah. a little push, and we see Big some guys in 91, yep. you know, like yeah. I think we have a good seven eight guys with that potential to be there, so yeah. it'd be nice to see. Coach Boyer, what's why would a high school recruit want to come to LCC in your opinion because we win is that is that most important well to a to a high school player I think that'd be some that's what they look at is how how strong the program is and how much they win but if they were to actually come here and then see what we're all about I think they would see that we prioritize making players better like on and off the field and developing them so it's actually came and checked it out i think they'd find a lot of reasons why to come yeah makes sense but then we also live in a world where we don't know what we don't know and if you're being shown something and you're not really aware of it it doesn't hit home as much as when you go and buy a red jeep and then all of a sudden you start seeing red jeeps around you're like oh yeah you know i'm locked into that well you're aware of mental performance and the impact that it can have on you when you're aware of biomechanics and develop and truly development of what a throwing program looks like of of what individualization looks like for hitting or or pitching or fielding or you know just being selfless you know what all that stuff looks like if you're aware of it then you're like holy smokes but if you don't understand it then it's a little bit harder to to you know yeah you know we have every year we've got freshmen that come in and they they're we're happy to have them but they they really don't know what they yeah. don't know coach Doyle what's uh what's your take on that why why LCC for a high school recruit I think a big one is that we do develop them to go to the secondary college mm-hmm. after us too mm-hmm. is a big one yeah. um you know like knowing <laughs> I mean winning is a big part of that too is you you do get more looks when you're in a team that mm-hmm. wins uh, especially if you play more games and go to the national championship you have more yeah. chances to be looked at I don't think anybody necessarily goes to junior college just to go to that college and never play baseball again. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that's a big one. Um, yeah, and if, if you do show up to one of our games, if it's hard to to put down the culture that we put on. I mean, like, I, you know, me playing pitch or me being a pitching coach at a you know a different school last year. Admit, and I felt like I was in the wrong dugout. You know what I mean? <laughs> the amount of energy that was going on on the other side of it at LCC was was palpable, and, and it was something that was. I was something I wanted to attain, you know, so it's, it's, I can see someone coming to one of our games and realizing that's the dugout they want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's good stuff. All right. Appreciate you guys coming in here until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners and also to coach Boyer and coach Doyle for joining me today in the WLNZ studios. Stay humble, stay hungry, go stars.
Coach Cuts Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com. And donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campuses offer conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available for assistance from setup to catering. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, visit lcc.edu and search conference. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have, the, I have notes from that first meeting and it was, take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. Mr. Delilah, it's time to wake up, Mr. Detweiler. Hey, Mr. Detweiler, how are we doing? Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 
This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. For hundreds of thousands of American families during World War I, War Department telegrams announcing a soldier missing in action began an agonized wait for information. Many of them would never find out what happened to their loved ones, but Frederick Zinn of Battle Creek made it his life's work to bring closure to the families of missing soldiers and airmen. Zinn graduated from the University of Michigan in 1914 and went on a tour of Europe just as World War I broke out. He enlisted in the French Foreign Legion and was wounded in the Champagne Offensive. After recovering, he enlisted in the Lafayette Escadrille, a squadron of American volunteers formed to fly for France. When the United States entered the war in 1917, Zinn transferred to the new U.S. Army Air Service. He led training programs for replacement pilots and sent new pilots to squadrons at the front lines, where their life expectancy was measured in weeks. Many simply went missing. Zinn stayed in Europe after the war. He had sent many of the missing men to the front, and he wanted to bring closure to their families. He scoured combat reports, interviewed French villagers, examined German records, and flew over battlefield areas looking for grave sites and airplane wreckage. Zinn found them. American airmen lay in shallow graves scattered all over France, sometimes marked with a broken propeller as a cross. In all, Zinn located the remains of 194 of the 200 American airmen who fell behind German lines. Zinn went back to work tracing missing American aircrew after the outbreak of World War II. His plans included the use of missing aircrew reports and ground search teams, as well as an organization to search for missing servicemen from all branches of the military. Later, he came up with the practice of having standardized serial numbers affixed to key aircraft parts to make it easier to identify the wreckage. Many of Zinn's innovations remain in practice today. For example, he proposed that the military create a unified organization to oversee the recovery of the remains of military personnel. In 2003, the Pentagon formed the joint POW-MIA Accounting Command and made Zinn's idea a reality. Frederick Zinn died of lung cancer in 1960. He rests today in a Battle Creek Cemetery just off the end of a runway at the W.K. Kellogg Regional Airport. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in February to the Black Box Theater, Lansing Community College presents the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fasthorse. Good intentions collide with absurd assumptions in this wickedly funny satire as a troupe of terminally woke teaching artists scrambles to create a pageant that somehow manages to celebrate both Turkey Day and Native American Heritage Month. 
Performances February 23rd through March 2nd. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. Feeling froggy? Well, leap into 20-plus podcasts at lccconnect.org. LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode, I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. Listen to this program and many others on demand at lccconnect.org. What is dedication? My daughter started making necklaces. She makes what we call affirmation fashion. I tell her every day that your black is beautiful. Your black is beautiful. And if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. If there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And reaffirming that every day is our method of making sure her chin never drops. My dad wasn't around, and I remember riding a bike and falling off and cutting myself, and me never just wanted to get back on it. People ask, how your children learn how to ride a bike, and you didn't. I didn't teach them. I just created an environment where they taught themselves, and all I had to do was be there. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistic positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program can earn multiple certifications. Visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. And now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. Hey, thank you so much, Parker, and welcome to Time Signatures. I'm your host, Jim Irvin. And before we go any further and I get into the show here, um, I have to admit that I was up late last night. My voice is definitely on the rough edge right now because I was uh, screaming and hooting and hollering at the Michigan game as I beat Alabama and sent the tide rolling right down the road. <laughs> so uh, that's why I sound like I do. But I wanted to address that because I don't sound like I normally do and, uh, and just move on. So I'm pleased and honored to be recording live today from the VFW National Home in Eaton Rapids, Michigan, the only Eaton Rapids on earth. And my very special guests are Michael Wilson, the executive director of the VFW National Home here, and also Travis Mandenberg, who also works at the VFW National Home. But he also holds a distinction of being among the first graduates for the home's Guitars for Vets program. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, for anybody that knows me, 
you know that I absolutely love our veterans, our men and our women of the military. So it gives me great pleasure to, first of all, say to both of you, thank you for your service and welcome to Time Signatures. Glad to have you here. We're glad to be here. Very happy to be here. Fantastic. So, Michael, we're going to dive right in here and we're going to start with you, sir. Okay. Um, I did a little bit of homework on the okay. Guitars for Vets program, and I was blown away because nationally, uh, there's 110 chapters in 40 states, and there's a handful here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I also understand that Brian Laurent was involved with this program here locally. Yes, uh, he and I are the ones that started it. So uh, back in 2022, early 2022, I discovered it through a visit to the VFW's national headquarters okay. shortly after I took the position as executive director here. Knowing Brian was a musician and uh, an artist himself uh, from past life, right? Uh, he'd been here, you know, well over twenty years, working here for over twenty years. And uh, when I got back and talked to Brian, I said, you know, this is a program we got to start. It's had six degrees of separation because I knew Brian through the Sun Dried Festival because he used to play with his band, mm-hmm. and he is from Saint Ignace, which right. is where my family—I've got family up there. Oh, and so when I saw Brian Laurent pop up on the the screen today, when I clicked on the uh, on the location to you know to find a an outlet you know, for this program, and I saw his name, and I'm like, oh man, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So he he helped get it rolling. He got helped get it started. Very very cool. Now this was you said back in 2022. Yeah, 2022 uh, was March of 2022 when um, when I discovered Guitars for Vets through the VFW. Okay, uh, they're a partner, and um, like I said, I brought it back and talked to Brian. And Brian had kind of, you know, retired from the music business sure, and yeah. was raising family and, uh, yeah. you know, being a coach and all that. And he's, I could tell there was a little something, a little twinkle in his eye and he still was interested in uh, getting something going. So him and I got it rolling. Um, he'd moved on to a different career by the time we got really into it, but uh, uh, he was helpful in getting it set up and getting Travis signed up and some of the other guys that played in our first cohort. Very cool. Very cool. Now, this chapter has been in existence for the last couple of years. I was blown away uh, as I was looking at some of this stuff. 50,000 lessons have been taught through this program and over 5,000 guitars have been given to the men and women of our military. Yeah. And um, and it's and it's such a cool program when you look at the background of it. But I loved reviewing the list of sponsors that included uh, Gibson Gives Foundation, the Yance Valor Foundation, also Gibson Brands, Les Paul Foundation, Three Chord Bourbon, who's got ties to the music industry, Heartland Home Health and Hospice. And as a former hospice aide, it gave my heart a little jump to see them involved in it. And so many more. But you guys have some strong partners in the program, don't you? There is. I mean, Guitars for Vets is, uh, you know, it's been around, I think, since 06 or 07, 2006, 2007. Okay. You know, once you see the results of the program, you really... You know, if you get any kind of heart at all, you, you, you kind of fall in love with what it does for veterans. Yes, sir. So, um, and I think that's why there are so many foundations and organizations that uh, uh, back the Guitars for Vets program. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you guys take donations of cash as well as uh, the hardware, the guitars right. and what, yeah. whatnot. Talk about that for a minute. I mean, do you have people locally that bring guitars and donations to you for the program? Well, I would like to tell you a very heartwarming story. Please. Um, we have events here all the time with the National Home sure. where, where uh, organizations come visit, primarily VFWs and auxiliaries from around the United States, come and visit. And our membership meeting was in October. While we were at the membership meeting, um, a lot of times we do a thing called parade of checks. People will bring donations during that time for whatever, either a project we're working on or just general fund mm-hmm. donations. 
And up walks this lady with a guitar case and a guitar. And uh, she wants to donate this guitar. Wow. Her husband was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, he bought the guitar new back in the early 80s. Wow. And uh, never really got the hang of it, put it in the closet, get it out every now and again. But he was hanging on to it in sure. hopes that maybe one of his kids or grandkids would have interest and start playing. And they never did. And, of course, he died of um, service-connected uh, causes. He died of Agent Orange, uh, cancer from Agent Orange. Gotcha. And his guitar had just been in the closet for, you know, three or four years. And his wife said, you know, I heard about the National Homes Guitars for Vets program, and I wanted to bring this and donate it to a worthy to a worthy veteran that's uh, learning to play guitar. And so we got it. It's a beautiful early 1980s Alvarez acoustic. Mm. Um, it's at a guitar text right now, getting the new bone saddle for the bridge and a couple things. And uh, we're going to put a, a little story in there about her husband in the case. You know, we'll stick it in the uh, Very cool. Some provenance. Yeah, that's sure. right. Yeah. And so, so yeah, we've had uh, probably a dozen guitars donated from people that just – they got it. They wanted to figure it out. They tried to learn. They couldn't do it. And they thought, what a better cause. Let's just give it to the National Home for their Guitars for Vets program. That is so cool. Now, we got to bring Travis in here um, because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, he is a member of the graduate, first graduating class from the uh, local chapter here of the Guitars for Vets. Well, the program uh, touts the benefits of music for our vets who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um I know this is a very personal issue, um, but can you talk about how music has helped you along the way and uh, how it's helped you cope with PTSD? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I am a very big proponent of any sort of, um, of art therapy. Sure. Um, and I think, I think to a certain degree, everybody probably has their own art form that they, that they fall into or that they connect with. Music is a very, very big, uh, I think... It has a very big psychological impact on everyone. Sure. And I think being able to touch that, whether it is learning to play maybe the songs that got you through the hardest times in your life, you know, uh, deployment included, uh, can have a very big impact. But also, and, and Mike says this all the time, I think, you, you just can't feel bad when you're playing a guitar. It's, it's impossible. And I see, I see Mike's got a guitar with him today, too. How long have you been playing? You've been playing for a long time. 45 years, 46 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, I've always wanted to learn the guitar. I've always wanted. It's one of the things, uh, you know, I remember when I was a, I was a teenager and somebody like a friend of the family donated uh, a guitar to us. And for whatever reason, lessons never came about. It was like it was sitting in the closet for years and then. I think it got sold at like a yard sale or something okay. when I moved out and I never got a chance to, to learn how to play, you know, from there I tried to play actually after uh, I got out of the service and I had a, a really nice Ibanez halberd that I bought. I just stumbled across it on, on eBay. And so this is a lifelong goal that I have been trying to pursue. I didn't even have the resources to do it until the guitars for vets program that that guitar also went by the wayside. So, uh, so first of all, this is, you know, this is like a, a check off of my bucket list. And then as for, you know, how it helps with PTSD, uh, first of all, everybody's PTSD, I think is a little bit different. Um, a lot of it, I think corresponds to the specific experiences. You know, I think a lot of it corresponds to exactly, you know, how the experiences, uh, might have affected somebody. So no two people will have the exact same, you know, symptoms or the exact same experience. That being said, 
I think, you know, kind of an anxiety or a fear is one of the overarching prevailing effects. Okay. And that can affect you anywhere. You can be talking to your boss and something comes up and you're like, I'm not prepared for this. And all of a sudden you just kind of freak out and you're trying to, you're trying to handle it or, you know, maybe, um, you're just out at a restaurant and you think that you're having a very straightforward conversation. And then somebody comments that you're watching everybody walking around, um, being able to sit down and do something with your hands and focus and repetition that calms somebody's mind. Uh, I would like to say that it's, it's kind of like a meditation in a way. Okay. And then as you go, you learn expression, you learn self-expression. Yes. And the music combined with the self-expression is a very powerful tool. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, I would, I would say that that's probably, uh, something that any of the blues artists that you talk to would probably say, you know, that, that self-expression during the, the hardest times of your life, or maybe even a way to make yourself feel more powerful when you don't feel that way naturally. Right. Makes sense. You're listening to Time Signatures. I'm your host, Jim Urban. And along with me today is the executive director of the VFW National Home, Michael Wilson. And uh, we also have, as, uh, as you just heard, gentlemen here, uh, uh, also works at the VFW National Home, uh, Travis Mandenberg. But he is also a part of the first graduating class of the Guitars for Vets locally. And um, this is, to me, it has a very deep touch. Okay, because as I said, I, I have a deep passion for the veterans and the people that have served our country as they have and to see people that can benefit from a program like this is absolutely wonderful. I think that Travis reached out and, and mentioned that, you know, the expression of music and different things to help get through PTSD. Uh, very, very important. Now, I know that they accept stuff nationally. We already determined that they accept guitars here locally. I would assume you also take uh, cash donations absolutely. and whatnot. We absolutely do. Our Guitars for Vets chapter... Uh, hasn't done any fundraisers in the past, but what we want to do is we want to do fundraisers for Guitars for Vets. Sure. And so, you know, they do so much for us. I mean, literally, they loan us the guitars that the students learn with, and then each student that graduates gets a free guitar. You know? Right. And I'm sure they get a, a number of those donated, too, but they've still got to operate. And so they've got a pretty massive operating budget. And just in speaking with some folks at Guitars for Vets, they're falling a bit short their fundraising goal for the year. And so they want to take an opportunity for our chapter to do some fundraising, either through, you know, getting a donated guitar and raffling it off or, or maybe we'll do some kind of a concert or jam session out here and charge some admission. But man, wouldn't that be cool? That I would be love yeah. to see something like that. Well, you and I will be talking because that's, uh, I really think that's something <laughs> we'll be doing in the summer this year is uh, putting together a little jam out here and feature a couple of our students and uh, get a couple of local acts to come out and play. And, uh, I, I got something I want to talk to you about after we get done right, here. I, I'm, right. I'm getting the, the wheels turning already. Good, good. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm excited about that. So that can actually be a great um, warm up 
uh, for our 2025 100th anniversary. Yes. So, you know, we turned 100 in 2025. That's crazy. That's we, so exciting. You know, Guitars for Vets, as far as I'm concerned, is going to be a part of the main stage of that. And sure. So, so you and I will have to rub our brains together and see what we can come up with for something for 2025. And well. yeah, and we're definitely going to have to keep in touch because I want to be here when you have the celebration. I Absolutely. think that would be, that'd be so cool to see. Right. Now, I was nosing around the Guitars, and Vets, uh, Guitars for Vets page. Um, now, do you guys take items other than guitars? Locally, uh, I mean, I we see would they take, take a little bit of everything, bass yeah, guitars and, yeah, and acoustics yeah, we take, and electrics. We take ukuleles, bass guitars, whatever. I mean, because we also want veterans to explore that. Sure. You, know? you get the basics of a six-string guitar. And uh, we actually have a night during uh, the 10 weeks of class where we bring in a 12-string and a nice. mandolin. And a, uh, somebody brought a cigar box guitar, three-string. You know, Those are cool. They are cool. Yeah. And so we... I can't remember. Travis brought in an electric guitar. And so mm -hmm. we had a little bit of everything so people could just see maybe a six-string acoustic isn't their gig. You know, maybe they would rather play. But it's all things strings. And so there's okay. usually one of the three instructors here can play any one of those instruments. And so if somebody wants to, you know, they have to graduate guitar vets with a six-string. But sure. by exploring some of them other uh, stringed instruments, they may find something they want to try and do something different. So, yeah, we'll, we'll accept any kind of stringed instruments. Uh, accessories, guitar straps, picks, strings, okay, any sure. of that kind of stuff. And so we'll use it all. Now, I, in talking to Travis, I know he's got a little bit of the blues in his repertoire. Oh, yeah. He likes the blues. What about you, man? Oh, man, it's my past. Is it's, it? Uh, yeah. Another story, if you don't yeah, mind. Please. Uh, my, I was a rocker. I was that's, a what this is, that's what this show's about. You yeah. Know. Okay. It's all about History. the blues. All right, good. Six, uh, 70s. Grew up in the 60s and 70s okay. with rock and roll. And, uh, you know, and I knew there was a little blues and rock and roll. I didn't know much about it. But I had a brother-in-law that uh, was a big blues fan. As a matter of okay. fact, he was a harmonica player, and he could sit in just about anywhere with his harmonica. Right. And uh, he come over and visit my sister one night. She had to go to work. And he said, well, let's let's go to the drive-in. I don't know if you remember drive-ins oh, or yeah. not. But I said, what's playing to drive-ins? He says, a movie called The Blues Brothers. And oh, said, my well, God. Well, <laughs> I'd love to go see that, you know. So so I ride with him in his old 67 Chevy pickup truck, two sure. lawn chairs and a cooler full of whatever. And uh, we get to the drive-in. And uh, sure enough, he knows 80% of the songs that are being played during this movie. Wow. And uh, by the end of the movie, he's standing on the tailgate. And we, we backed up the hill, you know, and was facing the tailgate right, facing right. the music and he's standing on a tailgate playing shake your tail feathers or one of the songs in that and nobody's watching the movie all the cars are all watching, watching him, him That's playing cool. harmonica. and i was like what is this thing you play it's it's the blues it's the blues and so from then on i was a srv eric clapton you know more modern blues sure, and then sure. the further i grew into it the more i learned about robert johnson and some of the older blues players oh, yeah. and uh, and then just fell in love with the blues and then you know i was playing the six string back then but i was a i was a country boy Okay. So I like playing country songs. Grew up with bluegrass, my parents. But then I started learning a little 12 bar and figured I could hold my own with some three chord, you know, things. And so then I started playing the blues. And so I like playing the blues. Love playing the blues. Love seeing the blues. Beautiful. Love all of it. So we'll have to we'll have to talk about that too. We got all we got all kinds all kinds of things, things to talk That's about. Right, yeah. Matter of fact, when we're doing lessons, my son and my buddy plays, and they're all t teaching rock, and I'm trying to edge us towards the blues. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, want to, I want these guys to walk away with some blues influence. Absolutely, man. I actually have, uh, I don't know if I have it on my phone with me, but I have some video of uh, your son shredding on that uh, Matchbox guitar that got brought in. Oh, yeah, yeah, the guitar wow. box, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Box, yeah. It had pickups on it. He, he plugged into his amp, and he was shredding on a Matchbox guitar. It was yes, amazing yeah. to see. Yeah. That is so cool. He's very well, good. Travis, I wanted to have you uh, speak to something, if you can, here for me. Obviously, you've been a beneficiary of the, the Guitars for Vets program. 
say there's a vet out there listening right now that maybe feels like they could use or, or benefit from uh, some kind of musical therapy in their life, what would you recommend to them? Oh, man, um, you're going to get me all emotional here. Uh, That's what this is about, brother. When I graduated from the class, the big feeling that I had was that I did not deserve the guitar. Um, I wanted to pass it on and actually donate it back to the program. And it wasn't because, you know, I didn't like it. Like I, I, you know, you can see I have an electric here sure. right? and the, and the sure. guitar that they gave me was an acoustic and it wasn't because I didn't like it. It wasn't because I didn't want it. I just, I just, I didn't feel like I, I had earned it. Um, so here's the thing. This program is put together primarily by vets, or at least that's, that's my, I didn't do the research, um, but by vets and for vets. Mm -hmm. Okay. We understand each other. We understand each other probably more than anybody else can understand us. Yes, sir. Anybody who's listening, you will absolutely benefit from this program. You absolutely deserve the chance to participate in this program. We want you to, whether it is just to experience what it's like to play a guitar for, you know, the first time in your life, or if, you know, you need it as a way to help you process things, it can do all of that. So, you know, if, if you're in an area that has it, uh, that has a Guitars for Vets program, seek it out. And I would also like to say, if there's anybody who has, uh, you know, resources, maybe teaches guitar or, or something, and you want to find a way to give back, this is a great way to do it. And I will say that absolutely any veteran that, that you interact with will appreciate. You know, if you're a guitar teacher, guitar shop owner, you know, whatever, please reach out. Reach out to the program. You know, what's nice about the Guitars for Vets program is that you don't have to need to learn to play the guitar to be in the chapter. If you're a novice guitarist and you just want to join the chapter and be a part of the group of people that play, you can do that. You can be, you don't need the 10 lessons. Maybe you've got some guitar skill, you know, you sure. and you just want to be a part of the chapter, join the chapter. And so, you know, we all learn from each other. I mean, it's, you know, veterans are from veterans, guitarists are from guitarists and, you know, and so everything's technique and, and um, you can be a part of the chapter. You don't have to go through the 10 lesson program if you already know how to play the guitar. So we wouldn't want somebody that flies a jet airplane have to learn how to fly. A plane. <laughs> so, but also we don't want to bore anybody with, you know, because a lot of us are novice guitar players, you know, and so uh, all just trying to figure it out together. But yeah, I would say the same thing as Travis said, if you're a veteran and you want to know more about playing guitar, you want to know more about stringed instruments, you want to meet with people that like that too, then you've got patience. Because some of it takes patience. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be, be a, call us up. Be a part of the chapter. Well, if you're listening and you want to donate to this very worthwhile cause, let me give a little bit of information here. Uh, you can make a phone call to make a donation. Their number is 855-448-4376. That's 855-G4V-HERO. Uh, you can also send donations to the Guitars for Vets Processing Center, the address is 13400 Bishop's Lane, Suite 120, in Brookfield, Wisconsin, 53005. 
Now, I will make sure to put these on our Facebook page and make sure that uh, that information is out there. Also on our uh, YouTube page when we get that up. Uh, you can also donate your musical equipment by calling the same number or you can email Michael at guitarsforvets.org. Now, the important part, it's all important, but the but the locally important part is how do they reach out to you, sir? They can uh, go to our website, vfwnationalhome.org. Uh, I think we have a link on there to the Guitars for Vets website. We don't have an actual page on our website yet, but uh, you can also reach out to info at vfwnationalhome.org. That'll go to one of our staff that'll send it to the right person. And so okay. uh, you can call us here. Now I got to remember that number. Uh, <laughs> 517 Help me out, Travis. One five two one. That's the one. All right. One seven six six three one five two one. Very cool. Here. Guys, I want to thank you both for being here today. And thank you, Travis, especially for sharing on a personal level what this program has meant to you. Um, you know, I know that the, the PTSD stuff is I don't understand it because I didn't go through it. Um, but I understand the depth and the importance of, of being able to address it and, uh, and move forward with your life and try to learn how to cope as well. Um, but I'm very glad to have both of you here. I, as I wrap up, I just want to remind you, keeping the blues of live is what we're all about here. Uh, preserving the history of the blues one story at a time. That's my mission. And so until next time, be well. And we will see you on the next edition of Time Signatures. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Baby, I'm this is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship since 2016. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. These selected students are chosen by the Mason Public Schools at the end of the fifth grade and then become a Mason Promise Scholarship through an induction ceremony. Over the course of the next six years, these students receive mentoring and support as well as introduction to career possibilities through the Pathway Program. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. Animals make our world better, so American Humane says, adopt from a local rescue or shelter, become a rescue volunteer, choose humane foods, and support certified wildlife centers. Visit AmericanHumane.org to learn more. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash serious fun. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices 
vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.